Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Let me get set up here. Lisa and I have so enjoyed being with you guys, hanging out with you guys this weekend. You guys know we were on yeah, we on our way home last night. We were just talking and reflecting that um, this church knows how to eat well, play well, and we see from the communion set up, uh, you really, uh, wow, some big cups, some big bread. I'm looking forward to the Lord's table today. So um, a lot of fun. I heard the uh, talent show went really well last night, so uh, we've, we've enjoyed everything. The food's been delicious. The conversations um, have been very warm. And so, so this morning we're going to be looking at, uh, if you're new uh, for this retreat, uh, we've been looking at singleness, marriage, and the church. And so uh, this morning we're going to end with a look at romance. Uh-oh, somebody fell down. Um, and, you know, I kind of debated on whether to, um, to teach this. Normally when I do marriage retreats, this is the kind of the, the last uh, session that I do. I have a kind of different variations depending on the different audiences. And so, um, you know, I really thought that this is a good way to, to land the retreat. It is a little odd to talk about romance in the Sunday school hour, uh, but I think that it's something that whether you're single, single again, married, um, teenager, uh, we need to have not a cultural perspective on romance, but a biblical perspective on romance. So um, we're going to be looking, there's, you know, really the scripture doesn't give us the definitive passage on romance. We could, we could take a tour of the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. Uh, we're not going to take a tour this morning. I am going to read, be reading selected portions, but we're actually going to begin in Genesis chapter 29, beginning with verse 20. And before I read that, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. It is the Lord's day. It is your day. We thank you that we can gather together to hear your word preached and taught, uh, to receive the sacrament, to be strengthened in our faith. Father, we thank you for um, this whole issue, a notion of romance. Uh, Our culture did not invent it. We thank you that it is a marvelous gift that you've given us. And we pray this morning that you would help us as we consider the whole uh, issue of romance, that you would help us um, just grow in our love relationship with you. We pray this morning that Jesus would be the most beautiful and irresistible reality in our lives. We pray this in his name. Amen. So Genesis 29 verse 20 and uh, says this. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. John Ortberg, he's a retired pastor, and I've really enjoyed his reading and uh, just his books, and uh, I think he's a talented uh, writer, gifted, he has some humor. And so uh, when he and his wife Nancy were married, uh, he was convinced that their honeymoon would just be 24 hours of nonstop passion. And so I'm just going to read it. He told her, leave the honeymoon to me. I know how to make a woman happy. I thought I knew the place to take her, 
the right spot to put her in the mood for our honeymoon, Wisconsin. I grew up in northern Illinois, and if you wanted a romantic setting, you went to Wisconsin. I knew how to make a woman happy. Nancy had several ideas of where paradise for honeymoon might be, and much to my surprise, Wisconsin was not one of them. But she trusted me, and after our wedding, we got on a shuttle bus to the airport in Los Angeles. We flew four hours on a packed flight to Chicago next to a lady with a sick baby on her lap. Not a romantic setting, but I wasn't worried. I had Wisconsin. I knew how to make a woman happy. We got into the O'Hare Airport. Our luggage was an hour late. Finally, we got a rental car. I had forgotten how big Wisconsin was. We were going to door see hours in the car. If you remember, what is it? What's that game show? Door C, door A, door B. Yeah, Dorsey. So they're heading to Dorsey. So after an hour in the shuttle bus, four hours in a plane, three at various airports, five in the car, we got to our honeymoon hideaway, the Bates Motel. It was 2 a.m. No one was at the desk. No lights were on. We had to find the key to our room ourselves. Anybody with brains would have gotten some rest at that point, but I knew how to make a woman happy. I said to Nancy, take a hot shower, relax, and I tried to make the room romantic. I got candles out. I knew women like candles, so I got the biggest ones that I could find. It burnt like a Duraflame log. (laughs) Finally, Nancy came out of a really hot shower. The combination of the steam pouring out of the bathroom and the candle smoke set off the loudest smoke detectors east of the Mississippi. Everybody in the motel room rushed into the hallway. There was smoke and steam pouring out of our room, bells going off like it was the 4th of July, and my wife wrapped in a couple of towels, and me saying to everyone around him, it's okay, we're on our honeymoon. It's our first night. I'm a pastor. It's all right. We were famous. People came up to us and asked for our autograph. They figured that I knew how to make a woman happy. Now, I'm sure that, um, you know, every guy and probably gals in here uh, have had some type of romance fiasco, and I I sure have. When I was dating Lisa, I could tell you stories. I almost launched with that instead of this story, but, um, you know, just things don't go as planned. They don't go as we imagine. And, um, you know, it's also kind of common uh, that, you know, oftentimes your relationship begins with romance through the dating and the engagement period, and then a little bit through your first couple of years of marriage, and then things just kind of get complicated. And the romance kind of cools a little bit, and it's just kind of on cruise control. Now, you know, if you think about kind of cultural considerations for romance, you know, kind of the idea of romance, our culture, is that romance is kind of fire starter for a relationship. Uh, think of it as if you use fire starter to start fire in your fireplace or your fire pit, and you just get so much enjoyment of watching that, you know, that first strike of the match, or if you use the propane thing, and you just kind of watch the fire starter go, and then it just kind of goes out. Uh, it's served its purpose. So that's 
kind of how our culture thinks about romance. It's a fire starter. It starts the romance. It's almost biological to get the romance, uh, to get the relationship going and launched and heading in the right direction. And it's just based on feelings that are just only about two people that feel good. And then it goes out or kind of smolders out. But I want to kind of pitch it to you this morning that uh, romance uh, that God has intended, that God has given us as believers, is much, much deeper and richer than that. You know, um, when I'm doing premarital counseling, I often talk about the purposes of marriage. If you look at our Westminster Confession of Faith, you'll see that uh, marriage is multidimensional. Kind of a trick question I'll ask sometimes, newly engaged is, what, what is the purpose of marriage? Um, but really, if you look at the confession, uh, marriage is multidimensional, has multi-purposes. Uh, for example, uh, one is to multiply godly heritage, right? Uh, to, if you're able uh, to have uh, offspring and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, another is to, to mutually complete one another. Uh, you know, we... Um, Marriage, God uses marriage as a part of our sanctification process. And, and uh, two people, you know, we, 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 you, uh, when we unite in marriage, uh, we have a lot of rough edges and sharp angles. And marriage is often that, that beautiful sandpaper uh, that God uses in the sanctification process. Uh, but also we see that uh, it is a mirror. It's the M&Ms of marriage, right? That, that uh, marriage... Uh, is a mirror that reflects Christ's uh, beautiful relationship with the church. And so those are the M&Ms of marriage, to multiply a godly heritage, uh, to mirror Christ's relationship with the church, and to mutually complete one another. You could also add in there the marriage bed, according to the confession. What about romance? Well, romance also is multidimensional. It's not just simply fire starter. Uh, The romance helps us uh, especially married, it helps um, kind of in that strengthening that oneness that we talked about yesterday. It helps to um, to enjoy and to celebrate the relationship, but also it's to glorify God. Everything that we do is to be His glory. And so, how does that? How how is romance something? Is it just seems like it just seems so non spiritual. You know, how can that glorify God? Uh, well, it demonstrates Christ's passionate delight for his church and the church's glad enjoyment of her Savior. Let me say that again. It demonstrates Christ's passionate delight for uh, his church and the church's glory, uh, glad enjoyment of her Savior. So we're going to just kind of look at uh, two things, really. First is the uh, romance is a biblical concept. It's a biblical concept. We, we read about how Jacob uh, met his wife. And there was an article a couple of years ago in the Journal of Advertising called How Americans Grew Bored with Love. And it's kind of interesting. This is you know about six years ago. But I would say that the principles are probably kind of true in terms of how the culture kind of looks at um, love and romance with a, with a jaded eye. But in that article, it describes, you know, of course, they're addressing the marketing, the marketers of our society, how uh, the concept or word love has been slowly subbed out of things like songs 
and um, poetry and music and what's been subbed in and things like good times, sexually charged words that replace the word love. Rom-coms, it's really interesting. Um, Rom-coms have been on the decline a little bit because, you know, it's like boy meets girl. A girl, you know, distanced herself from boy. Boy chases girl. And some of our culture says, you know, that's, that looks like sexual harassment. Maybe some movies and some songs, you know, actually maybe we need to rethink some of those. Um, especially some of the songs by the police, you know, that band, you know, sounds like maybe could be bordering on sexual harassment. I don't know. Um, but, you know, think about the fact that some of the greatest love stories ever in history, historical accounts, come out of the scriptures. I mean, think of Jacob uh, and Rachel. Um, you know, here's Jacob, he's a hardhead. His name basically means schemer. You know, he's always scheming and he's always trying to outfox people and get ahead of God's plan. And yet God in his grace and his mercy, he leads Jacob to the woman of his dreams and he works 14 years for her. I mean, his is a passionate love. Um, just kind of some beautiful words there in verse uh, 20. But also, you know, think of Boaz and Ruth. Um, you know, their love kind of grew, grew in a, a slow cooker, you know, just kind of is marinated with, with character and mutual admiration of that godly character that was just being slow cooked. And you could say that theirs was, was a redemptive love. Uh, but then you also think of uh, the young lady and the young man in the Song of Songs. And it's kind of interesting if you think about, you know, this love story that God given, has given us, this incredible love story of this, uh, this back and forth interplay of a young lady uh, betrothed to this man. And it's interesting that the voice that it's written in is not some crotchety old king or prophet. I'm not talking about who authored it. I'm talking about the voice that it was written in. Okay, what's the, the voice that it was written in is primarily um, a young lady who is uh, betrothed to this young man. And it's really, if you, if you read it that way, that voice and the voice that is written, uh, that you can kind of see that she's kind of talking to her, her bridesmaids, if you will, her friends that are going you know, to be a part of this great event that she's looking forward to. And she's, she's basically saying to her friends, uh, she's saying, girls, it's, you know, purity and then passion. Purity and then passion. Now think of the, um, the Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is written, you know, uh, kind of, so it's written to a general audience, but it's kind of written to uh, a young man. Over 40 times in this book, it says, my son, my son, my son. You get to Proverbs 31, and it's kind of like, my son, um, you know, consider a noble woman. And then he kind of lists the attributes, probably a composite, not one single woman in Proverbs 31. It's probably, I envision this as the elders sitting at the gate. Uh, giving wisdom, people coming for advice or adjudicate matters, and, and they're kind of looking out at the noble women and their congregation or their wives even. 
And so, um, but you see, even in Proverbs, it's kind of like, guys, go take a cold shower and stay in the beautiful confines of God's design for marriage. Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. Uh, Girls, go take a cold shower. Stay within God's beautiful confines, boundaries, and design for marriage. So here's the thing I want you to, to kind of consider. You know, culture didn't invent sex and romance. Sometimes I think the church just kind of capitulates and says, okay, romance, that's your area, that's your turf culture. Uh, but the point about Song of Solomon is it's a story of a couple who is not in love with the idea of love. And that's so much what drives our cultural notion of dating and, and romance. It's not the idea of being in love, being in love with love, uh, but it's this. It's a joyful celebration of being united together for life. And she says, my beloved is mine and I am his, she proclaims. And so I think on your outline, see if I'm following your, your outline, um, the second point here is, oh, we're, still on, we're still on point number one. So romance is God's idea. It's not Hollywood's or Hanukkah's idea. Um, you know, one thing that we need to consider in, you know, how God has given us romance is, you know, that we are constantly training our affections and longings to fit one person. We're constantly training our affections and longings to fit one person. Uh, Song of Songs says this in, in chapter 3, verse 2, uh, I will seek him whom my heart longs. So it's just this, this idea of, you know, romance is not just uh, just this just wonderful feeling that gets the, the romance started, but it's, it's really designed to train our affections and longings to fit one person. So as you train your affections and longings to fit one person, you know, um, it, it honors God because uh, you're glorifying God as you are recognizing that this person, perhaps you're, you're, you're engaged, uh, that this person that you are exploring the, the whole concept of marriage, that this person is God's um, potential gift to you as uh, a lifelong partner. And so you're honoring the other person, but you're also honoring God. Uh, romantic, the romantic aspect of our marriage, you know, takes planning and forethought and builds anticipation. So if it's not just simply kindling wood to, to start a uh, relationship, it's not a starter fire. It's not simply feelings to help us feel good about things. Uh, then if it is something to honor God and to honor our spouse or future spouse, then it's going to take some work. It's going to take some planning and forethought. Um, you know, romance is not just husbands buying flowers so that, you know, you can get your wife in the mood. You know, you buy flowers for your wife um, just because. It takes, you know, husbands, you know, giving careful thought uh, and um, just kind of planning out your evening out so that when you go out to eat, maybe, you know, Dinner is um, the primary feature of your day. You're not just stirring your food in your plate, talking about the events of the week or what's going on with your kids or 
you know, what's coming up in the next week, that you're actually leaning forward into your wife's life, that you want to mine the well, you know, just draw out um, just more of her character, uh, more of her wisdom, more of her desires, more of her hopes, more of her dreams. You know, when I um, send couples on a date night, uh, oftentimes I will give them a little booklet that has different questions, different levels of questions for the date. And I'll have them actually take turns. So I'll usually start with the husband and say, I want you to take your wife on a date, and I want you to spend less than $7. Now, they're like, what? You know, you can't go on a date with $7. But yes, remember when you were dating and you were poor, uh, how creative we could be? So I had this big, long list of things you can do, and Tidewater for under $7 is really cool. I'll sell you my list for $7. Uh, uh, but I've just had some people really, really creative. Like, they would just uh, pack a little picnic and take the ferry from Portsmouth over to Waterside, get out on the water for, what, $1.25 or whatever it is. Uh, just lots of creative things, but planning and foresight. And and women, you can also, you know, I I... Uh, give the questions book to the guy. And so there's kind of three levels of questions. There's kind of fun, kind of uh, questions you have at small group, kind of fun kind of questions. But then there's kind of more serious questions, um, kind of digging deeper. And then the last are kind of um, kind of surfacing out her values, you know, things that are very, very important to her. And so I said, just say, pick one from each category. And then next week, we flip it around and we give it to, um, to the ladies to plan. So, um, you know, and, and sometimes women, you can kind of get ahead of your husband and, and plan sometimes the, the babysitting, the child care, maybe with, with your parents or whoever does that. Samantha Burns, she's a counselor. She's a dating consultant. Um, and she was on the Today Show a few years ago. And she, uh, she's on the Today Show because she has this really quirky sense about her that she decided that every anniversary, wedding anniversary, uh, that she would put on her wedding gown, no matter where they're going, uh, that she would wear her wedding gown to the event or to whatever it was, because she wanted to keep um, the romance alive. But she said, you know, the, uh, you know, the day of her wedding, she put on this gorgeous gown that you pay a lot of money for and a lot of forethought picking out, and you just wear it one time. Um, Lisa wore her mom's, which was really awesome. Then I stepped on the train and ripped it, which was not really awesome. Uh, but, but fortunately, we had a seamstress at our reception, so that was good. But she, what she would do is she would, she, you know, the, her husband thought she was joking. Ha, ha, ha. But, it, you know, the first anniversary, they went somewhere where he had planned it out. And the first part of the, that night, they were going to hit... Um, range balls at a golf course because they both like golf. There she was with her wedding gown on. You know, you think she got some looks. Said the third was really memorable. It was just kind of a cruise, sunset cruise around Boston Harbor. It was a Wednesday evening. That's when their um, anniversary hit. So they had the whole dance deck to themselves going around Boston Harbor. How cool is that? There she was wearing her wedding garment. And what she's saying is this, it might sound really, really silly, and I'm not recommending you do this, 
But I am recommending what she said about this on the Today Show. She said, she's saying, I am still in love with you, and I want the whole world to know. You think about what God has done for us in Jesus. And again, everything I want to say this morning, I want to drive you to Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, that he truly will be the most irresistible, beautiful reality in your life. But you think of what God has done for you in Jesus. He's taken off your grave clothes. He reclothes you with garments of salvation. He pursued you when you were running from him. You were enemies of him. And because of Jesus, his, his perfect life, his atoning death, his triumphant resurrection, his constant intercession for you. You think of those things. And you think of how he has taken off our filthy rags And he has given us tailor-made wedding garments. We're to be wet ready for his return. And so, you know, we often think of, as kind of land this point, we often think of, um, you know, mirroring our marriages, mirroring Christ's relationship with the church. We think of faithfulness. Faithful. We want to be faithful to our wife just as Christ is faithful to us. We can be so unfaithful, so all over the map. Yes, Yes, mirroring uh, Christ's relationship with the church in our marriage. We want to mirror God's faithfulness to us. But how about this? How about Christ's passionate delight for his bride and his bride's glad enjoyment of her Savior? Kind of puts romance in a kind of a whole different dimension, doesn't it? Second thing I want you to look at is that romance is learned and developed. This is kind of the kind of the practical part of the talk, but we're going to be looking at a couple of passages here. So it really doesn't matter, guys. I want to talk to the guys for a few moments. It really doesn't matter your background or your personality. It's something that we can grow in, you know, with with planning and training and practice and prayer. Something we can grow. Sometimes, you know. The wife will say to her about her husband, well, he's just not, not naturally romantic. And so that's why my friends, you know, kind of their husbands are a little bit more romantic than mine. It's true that some guys kind of maybe are bent a little bit more toward the romantic aspect of life. That's true. But I'm going to tell you, you know, somebody that um, does a lot of marriage counseling, I've seen guys really, really grow in this. Really, really grow. And so instead of being lavish and extravagant when we're thinking about being romantic uh, with our wife, just think about consistency. Just aim for consistency. And guys, don't shy away from just asking your wife, getting some information on what they consider uh, to be romantic. Uh, What they consider would be a kind of a celebration of your relationship together. And wives, don't be offended if your husband ask that, you know, you're thinking, wow, we've been married for 15 years, and you're asking me this question, really? Uh, think of that as a movement toward you. They want, they're trying to grow in this particular area. And guys, back to you, just a reminder that uh, tender and warm feelings toward your wife isn't, isn't enough. A lot of times we, we start thinking, well, she knows how I feel about her. She knows it. I don't express my words very romantically, and I'm not a poet. I've never written her a song and sang it to her, but she knows. She knows. But we can see the, the Song of Solomon that um, 
that our regard, our love, our affection for our wives is meant to be expressed. They need to be expressed. You know, think of the Song of Solomon as kind of this ancient YouTube channel. I love YouTube because I cannot fix anything. I'm a home repair disaster, walking disaster, and I look up everything. Um, so I just, I'm very thankful for YouTube. Kind of think of um, just how to grow romantically and expressing your affections and your love toward your wife. Song of Solomon just is this great YouTube of how do we um, express that in words. So I want you to think about this morning kind of the power of thoughtfully composed words. Uh, that's one of your blanks in part two. The power of thoughtfully composed words um, that help promote marriage intimacy and oneness. C.J. Mahoney, uh, Mahoney said this, before you touch your body, touch your heart. I think that's those are good words of counsel. Um, and the words that we find here uh, in the Song of Solomon are not just words of flattery that kind of lead up to a romantic point in the evening, uh, but it's something that we express intentionally as kind of our love language. Um, so here's some examples, some carefully crafted words. I'm just going to read just a little sampling. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, uh, verse 7. Uh, it says this, you don't, you don't need to flip there. It says, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Hmm. We'll come back to that one. Um, verse 9, you have captured my heart, my sister, my bride. I love this interplay of how um, the young man not only refers to his bride-to-be as his bride, uh, but also his sister, his sister in the Lord. Um, that covenantal aspect of their relationship. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garment is like the fragrance of Lebanon. And so there's all these this beautiful uh, metaphors. And so, you know, you think, well, I don't know how to do that. Um, I don't know how to have carefully composed words. Well, let's talk about that for just a moment. Uh, one thing that you'll notice throughout the Song of Solomon, if you do a slow read, is there's words, there's intentional exaggerations. And that's a really good thing to think about. It's not just, you know, it's, it's really not that these two are, are runway models in France and Paris. Uh, they're, they're, they're just beautiful. They really don't have any flaws. It's really, they're expressing not a flawless physique, but they're expressing to how they, they see one another, how they feel one, uh, about one another. And so one of the ways that we can kind of compose, you know, just grow in this area, male or female, is, you know, start with a list. Start with a list, uh, the things that you appreciate about your wife. Start with her character. Start making a list. If you have a journal, this is a great place, just in your journal, just start, you know, making a list of things that you really appreciate about her character, her personality, you know, kind of think back about aspects of her personality when you first met. Um, list out how you've seen your wife, how you've seen her grow. 
over the years, through the good times and in the hard times. Remember what we said last uh, yesterday, that conflict reveals? And usually we think of it reveals all the negative bad stuff, right? But also, conflict also reveals uh, our spouse's strengths that we forget about. And why is she so persistent about bringing this up? Because she, she loves me or she's passionate about the truth in this situation. You know, it's a strength. So write out aspects of um, her personality, her character, her strength. Second, you know, think about metaphors just in everyday life, particularly in nature, that would help describe your spouse. And think about the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah said that God's faithfulness was like what? Hmm? Anybody? How did he describe God's faithfulness in Lamentations? It's like the dew, you know, dew in the morning. It's, it's new every morning. You know, how the, the dew is so new every morning. And so, um, you know, when, when the, um, uh, the young man in Song of Solomon talks about her eyes being like doves, you're thinking, what does that mean? Uh, there's a lot of weird metaphors, but think about this, the fact that uh, doves mate for life. Um, they only have eyes for each other. You know, so, so think about some of the, um, the things in your environment and in, in nature that God has put around you uh, to help you develop carefully crafted words. Second thing um, is you can't shy away from in this marvelous book, Song, Song of Solomon, is uh, touching and caressing. And that's, uh, that's also the, the power of touching and caressing. Uh, verse um, 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 5. I love this. She, uh, she says, who is coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Just that whole, uh, just that whole word picture there of her leaning on her beloved. Who is coming up out of the woods, just leaning on her beloved? Um, so husbands, you know, when's the last time you've held hands with your wife if you went on a walk uh, or prayer? You know, I always encourage couples to hold hands uh, married couples, remember what I said about de- couples that are dating, uh, when uh, don't pray alone and don't hold hands when you're praying. You can't handle that intimacy. Uh, but marrieds, um, just holding hands uh, when you're praying. Um, Lisa, it's kind of funny when, we, when we're praying in the evening, uh, we're very tired and exhausted, and we have kind of a prayer liturgies that we use, um, and then we pray about just things. And Lisa's hand just automatically flops over to mine. And I've got a bad shoulder. And so, you know, lately she's been taking my, sh- my hand and it just wrenches the shoulder out of my socket. And I'm like, ah, right in the middle of our prayer. But it's just automatic. We're praying. No. Um, we, um, you know, just also just, um, I know that she has a lot of aches and pains. So just... You know, I just give her a shoulder. She just really appreciates a good shoulder massage, good head massage, good foot massage while we're watching our British detective shows. Um, Jeff mentioned that uh, we, Lisa and I love to dance. So every Friday night, uh, we are out dancing with friends, Carolina Shag. And um, you're thinking, oh, gosh, I can never dance. You know, one of the things that there's about three, about a two-hour time, there's about three slow dances that the DJ sprinkles in. Do you know who can slow dance? 
Anybody can slow dance. Even TJ can slow dance. Now, TJ might be a good dancer. I don't know. Um, but yeah, just, you know, you know what's the best time uh, to slow dance? Just like, just right there in the middle of your kitchen. Not while she's cooking, um, but, uh, or you're cooking, guys. Some of you guys are really good cooks. Uh, but just, just slow dance just because. I'm not sure leading up to anything, uh, but just because. Um, and so just some other, some practical considerations, everyday life, romance in everyday life. So that's the, uh, the power of touching and caressing. Practical considerations of everyday uh, life. So um, I want to pitch to you just kind of the idea of just having a, a date night. And some of you do this on a regular basis. Some of you have gotten away from doing this. But a regular date night reminds you and just reinforces the relationship that we take for granted. As I mentioned, Lisa and I set aside Friday night. Every Friday night is, you know, it's pretty marked out on our calendar. Um, I mentioned to you some of the, um, the requirements I have for some of the couples, the $7 date night. Uh, you can up, up it to 10 with inflation. I'll give you that. Uh, but try it. Try it. Um, you'll, be, you'll be amazed at the creativity. You'll be amazed at some of the just some incredibly cheap or free stuff that are right here around us. We're so blessed in Tidewater to have. And then find some good questions. You know, unfortunately, the question book that I use is uh, on loan because it's out of print now. But um, I just love those because it has those three levels or layers of increasingly deeper Depth questions. Uh, second practical communication is just the power of music and atmosphere in your home. The power of music and atmosphere. Now I realize if you have kids uh, or teens, this might not be as practical, but uh, especially for us empty nesters, what we do, since we're both kind of remote workers, Lisa started remote working during the pandemic, is it's, you know, it's kind of hard when you're remote working to set kind of boundaries in your home between work and ministry and just the evening, you know, ministry can go 24 seven. And so when, when she starts hearing the jazz, we love all manner of jazz. We love Latin jazz in particular. Um, and when she hears that, uh, that's kind of a marker that the day, the work day is coming to a close and we're setting aside time to, uh, to be together. And maybe it, it's not a long time to be together because the pressing, uh, kind of the pressing issues of the evening with maybe small group or whatever. But we kind of set that marker, and we put on music uh, that's that's important to us, uh, and we just just set, it's a reminder that our relationship is important. That God has given that relationship to us. Uh, third is getaways, just spending a concentrated amount of time together in different environments. It's a great way to refresh your marriage. I want to, I want to um, suggest two types of get, getaways. Uh, one, you know, some of you are more adventurous and you get bored quickly, and so you want to plan kind of different, different adventures, and that's great. Uh, I want to suggest that you have maybe two types of getaways for your marriage. One uh, being uh, someplace familiar. And for us, it's a no-brainer. It's Grandfather Mountains, Boone area, Blowing Rock area, that's our area. Uh, where we go, we know 
all the wineries. We know our special restaurants. We know all the hiking spots. We try to add in new hikes to make it a little bit more adventurous. But it's just a place where we don't have to overthink this. It's a place where we can just quickly uh, disengage from the trip and the travel and just get out there on the balcony and just start talking. And then there's something to the more adventurous. You know, I'm not not talking about you need a lot of money to do things, but maybe just something new where you're exploring a new area together and it's kind of exciting and it's kind of, you know, problem solving and things like that. So there's value in that as well. And again, they don't have to be expensive places. Just places um, some of your favorite beach spots right around here can even work. I'm going to end with this and we're going to do we have time for discussion? I hope what time is it? Yeah. So this is um, a little article written by Van Morrison, who is a pastor, and it's entitled simply The Kiss. And this is part of a talk that later became an article, uh, a talk that he gave at the 2009 Zondervan Pastors Conference. And he was in his third third month of ministry, starting out at a new church, a church that had been through just kind of an emotional beatdown as a congregation the previous year. And he described it as a 10-round Oscar de la Hoya emotional beatdown for this congregation. It uh, kind of culminated with the, the, the former pastor had resigned after an affair. It just blew up in the congregation. Uh, but not only that, there were just other string of affairs that followed that and divorces. It was just like trees in a forest just falling. It was devastating. The congregation was, was rocked. And so he was hired, and he told his wife, uh, Van told his wife, you know, I think that the path to healing looks like uh, really great gospel preaching. So I'm just going to put all the marbles into preaching. And this is what this is what's gonna, God's going to use to heal the church. And so I'm going to delegate out a lot of the other shepherding responsibilities and administration responsibilities that I would ordinarily do. But I'm just going to delegate all of that out, and I'm just going to focus on preaching. But he's, he told the pastor audience, uh, that God's ministry um, extends often far beyond our preaching in ways that we can't even imagine, and that God can use something as simple as a kiss. So this is what he says. He says this. So three months in, on a Sunday in August, uh, he had just finished his sermon. So I'm just kind of setting up. He just gave the benediction. And he headed over to his wife, who, you know, the congregation was talking, and she was chatting in a little group of ladies, and he just places hands on her shoulders, kind of behind her, and he's taller, and so he just planted a little kiss right there, top of her head. He said, little did I know it would become the kiss heard round the world. Well, maybe more like the kiss heard round the community. Nonetheless, it was the kiss, not the sermon that everyone would remember from that evening. And as he was shaking hands along the way out, I began to hear things like, that was the sweetest thing that I've ever seen. It did my heart good to see that. I love to see a husband and wife be affectionate toward each other publicly. My my wife heard similar comments. We received calls at our home, people telling us just how much it meant to see them, to see the kiss, capital K. 
We were even approached as we were uh, in and out of the community. People would come up to us and say, I heard what happened at church the other Sunday. (laughs) Good news doesn't always travel fast, but on that occasion, it did. And his point to the pastors at that talk was that our lives can preach louder than our sermons. Right, pastors? We, We know that. We forget that. But I want you, as you, I want to leave you with this this morning as we kind of think about God's design for marriage uh, and romance. That romance is not just something that's confined to Saturday night or Friday night, uh, but we sow the seeds of romance day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, in ways that communicate and reflect that our relationship with our spouse is to be a sweet reflection and fragrance of our relationship with Jesus. It displays Christ's passionate love for his church and the church's glad enjoyment of her Savior. So, I have, what time is it? 948. 948. Well, let me pray, and then I'll give you some homework assignments. Uh, Father, we thank you for the fact that romance... Marriage, they're your design, they're your gift to us. And we pray that, um, that our romance truly would express our Savior's delight in us and really would uh, reflect just a glad enjoyment of everything that we have. Thank you for the garments of salvation that you have given us. And we uh, just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me give you uh, some assignments. So it is approaching 10. So ordinarily, I'd have you do some table assignments and just think, I want you to think about this maybe later on today. You know, what ways is the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon a wonderful gift for God to the entire church? And uh, what can singles learn from it? It's a good question. And then for marrieds, you know, how does our love for God uh, affect our love for our spouse? So how does God's love for, for you how should it affect your love for your spouse? Um, also included some just couple discussions. You've noticed I've done that throughout. And then there's a couple of bonus questions I have, just kind of samples from that book, that little booklet I was referring to uh, for questions that uh, maybe I'm going to read them to you so that they're not lost in all your papers today. Uh, Day night questions for you. Is our marriage more like a river or an ocean? In what ways? That's a good question. What about this question? Uh, what is something you look forward to in our relationship during the coming year or in the next 10 years? In our relationship, not just life, career, school, uh, but what do you look forward to in our relationship in the coming years? So, that, all right, I think you're dismissed for, I think you have a time of fellowship and then we'll worship. So.